We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene, and tonight we've got a special guest host with us. Uh, Welcome once again to the show, David. Hello, thanks for having me back again. And tonight we're going to be looking at a new series here on Fusion Patrol, and and one that I'm going to say that I did not watch when it came out on American television in 1985, and that is the CBS uh, television show Otherworld. Did you see this show when it came out, David? Yeah, I remember watching it. I don't know if I saw all the episodes. All eight of them? Yeah. <laughs> there were so many before it got canceled. Uh, we picked this because it's not Logan's Run. Um, <laughs> it's not Man from Atlantis. It's not Man from Atlantis. Um, it's it's something a little bit different. I wanted to show I hadn't seen and talk about it. So we'll start with a little background on the show. And there's not a lot that I can find a lot of it's seems a bit apocryphal, but it was created by a uh, gentleman by the name of Roderick Taylor. And if the stories on the internet can be told to be true, he was in a position where he overheard a CBS executive say, what we really need is lost in space, but on Earth. And, and Mr. Taylor stepped up at that moment and seized the day and said, I can do that for you. And, and Otherworld is the result of that. So let's start with a little synopsis of the pilot episode, which is called Rules of Attraction. It starts off in modern-day Egypt, where engineer Hal, Hal, Hal yeah, Sterling Hal. and his family have been there for four months working on a hydroelectric dam. Dad's an engineer there just tagging along for the ride. And it's a once-in-10,000-year planetary alignment that day. And at the very same time, a guide that their youngest son finds takes them not into the pharaoh's tomb like everybody else does when they go inside the pyramid, but he goes to the chamber of the ordeal. For ten American dollars. Only ten dollars, that's right. And when they get there, he shakes them down for another ten dollars, which Hal, being a man of principle, refuses to pay. And so the con man turns off the light and leaves them there just as the planetary alignment occurs and they are sucked through a vortex and pop up in a lake where they are obviously not, don't know where they are. There's two moons in the sky. It's nighttime. There's this strange alien lighthouse looking thing flashing down on them and they come out and they walk through the night in the desert and the day they're walking through the day and they come across a car. They find a road and a car and they meet Mr. Kroll, who is a commander in these zone troopers. They ask for help. He's a little bit nasty, sort of Nazi-ish. But he does ultimately tell them to get in the car, but then a struggle ensues because they didn't like the way he said get in the car, and he accidentally shoots himself, and they steal his car and zip off until they can't drive it anymore and wreck it. And then they find a town, a perfectly ordinary town, where they are suddenly taken in, given jobs and a place to live. And they try to figure out the mystery of this place and we'll figure out what's happened to them. I do note that when they did steal the car, it's because the commander had a crystal that wasn't your basic, you know, key ignition car. No, it was, yeah, it's it was, a... And they were able to figure that out, putting a crystal into the car. 
but they couldn't figure out the left and right arrows were the steering yeah. thing. But they, you know, <laughs> all right, fun. Uh, Kroll uh, turns out to be a very high level and sadistic member of the Zone Troopers, the people who patrol between the individual uh, provinces on this planet. And he characterizes these people as terrorists who were armed, and of course they stole his crystal, which is a very bad thing, gives them access to everything in the world, and so he's tasked with the job of hunting them down and killing them or bringing them to justice or getting his crystal back, it doesn't really matter. Uh, we learn that this, this province that they're in is populated entirely by androids which is a problem for our teenage boy of the family uh, because he's fallen in love with one of the androids and is a very touching uh, thing, and then they escape. The, the, <laughs> end, of the, the end of the story. I, I, I shorten up the thing. You should watch this. This one you can find on YouTube because you can't find it anywhere else. But you do say other planet. We never really know. Is it another planet, another dimension? Is it still Earth? What, you know, it Obviously, they are human-looking for the most part, but we really don't know. I'm... I'm of the opinion, and you're right, there's a bunch of ambiguity there. The people are like, I don't know where we are. Are we on another planet? Are we in another dimension? It's like, it doesn't really matter. There are two moons in the sky. You're on a different planet. <laughs> that planet might be in a different dimension. That planet might be in another solar system, another galaxy. It doesn't really matter. You are on a different planet. So what did you think of the episode as a as a whole? And did it work for you? Did it I, I enjoyed the episode. It wasn't it's not great sci-fi. I mean it's it's your it's your typical stuff. There was a lot of jumps and skips, you know, they kinda just kinda jumped ahead of things that they shouldn't in real life you wouldn't react in certain ways, but that is kind of one of the ways the T V has to work to get you into these situations. Yeah, one thing I liked about this episode was, uh, and I've talked about it on Fusion Patrol before, and that's this pilotitis where you you get an hour-long series and it's got a high concept they have to establish. And they spend 45 minutes establishing the background and then they spend 15 minutes with an actual story yeah. in that universe. Now, this they avoided that beautifully in this episode because they just flipped it on its head. 15 minutes to establish the entire thing and then spent 45 minutes in the Android world. Yeah. I'm not sure that worked, but I appreciated their attempt to not do it the way everybody else yeah, exactly. did. I mean, there were a couple things that really bugged me. And and the first is is that they they come up in a lake, they're in Egypt, in a tomb, and then poof, they're in a lake with two moons. First off, you, you've got to be pretty damn sure you're not on Earth. Right? Yes. I mean, you've you've gone somewhere and you're not on Earth. You have to believe that. Second, there's this lighthouse thing that keeps beaconing them. It's right on the shore of the water. We never see what they do with that, which is apparently nothing at all. Yeah, because then it immediately cuts to them in the middle of the desert. And the next day. On, and, and, they, like, okay. and they say, we've been walking all night long. So they didn't go to the man-made object, or the obviously man-made Man. object, on the shore of the strange lake where they popped out. And I... I didn't buy off on that one too much. No. The dad is an idiot. Um, he's, I, I, you know, he's supposed to be an engineer. He's supposed to be a strong hero type. But frankly, he strikes me as an idiot. Oh, kids, I told you this is going to be a great adventure. I mean, way to put a spin on it, Gad. <laughs> uh, we're trapped on an alien world. And you know, we're going to die in this desert if we keep walking. Because he's not smart enough to hide from the heat of the day either. They're just, no. just walking. And then when they meet the zone, this is, this is the part where they meet Kroll, 
car comes up behind him. Now, I admit, Kroll was not being particularly nice, but he pulls up, right, and he gets out. Asks for their ID. He asks for their ID. He, Dad, for some reason, goes, I don't think this is what you want, but here's my California driver's license. Well, no, if they were in Egypt, he'd want your passport, which you should be carrying with you. But okay, it's some ID. Gives you ID. Kroll looks at it, flings it aside. No, I want your ID. And, and, and Dad's like, no, no, you understand. We need help. Now, let's let's put this in context. They're in the middle of a completely alien desert. They don't know where they are, and they're completely and utterly lost. Here is a car and a man in authority. And he may be an ass, but you know, we need help. And the guy says, get in the car. And Dad, what does Dad do? Does Dad say, let's get in the car the one way we might survive this desert and not be killed? <laughs> With the man in authority. I mean, yes, he might be an asshole. He might arrest us. He might do whatever it is that he does. But at least we're not walking aimlessly without water in the desert. But no. Dad goes, well, no, you don't, no, you don't understand. We need help. And then get in the car. And unfortunately, Kroll grabs the boy, who's the closest one, whose name is Smith. We'll get to that later. And he's kind of manhandles him towards the car, which, which gets Dad all pissed off to the point where he attacks the guard. And they struggle. And then somehow... He shoots his gun through the holster, hits his own car, and bounces back and knocks himself unconscious. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in a situation like that, I don't think I would struggle with him in the first place. I would have just gotten the car and said, we've got to be better off in the long run going to wherever he's going. I would think so, yeah. think so. But then having gotten into this struggle with him and having him shot himself by accident... I would not leave his unconscious body in the desert because that's tantamount to murder. Exactly. And and steal his car. I would, at the very least, if I was going to steal his car, I would take him into the car with me, disarm him, and I mean, yeah, it would be the them, compassionate yeah. human thing to do. Yeah. But they don't do that. They steal a car, and they drive it along, and Dad doesn't know how to steer it until he wrecks it, and then they... They find the answer. Yeah, this is whether they think they're still in Egypt, on another planet, whatever. I mean, it's just the way you should react. Right. You, you just... He's, it doesn't make he's, any sense. No, not at all. So the next thing that bothers me is... So they climb a hill next to where they wreck. Because, once again, you're on a road. But if you don't have transportation, they're apparently going to head off across the desert again. <laughs> Thinking, stick with the road. Yep. But as it turns out, they're, they're okay, because they go up, and over the little hill is this amazeball city, which they go down, and it's it's like totally earth. There's people in ties and suits, and, and my favorite Martians there giving out jobs. It's like, what am I supposed to do with you? Why are you late this line? What do they do? Oh, well, here's your house. Here's a job. Go to orientation. What I didn't like about this scene is they need help. They don't know where they are. They're apparently too stupid to have figured out they're on another planet because there's two moons in the sky. I'm willing to pass that off as special effects that weren't put in when they wrote the episode. That's possible. Because yeah, you really... Yeah. And they go into this town, and it's filled with ordinary, normal people. And what is the advice Mom gives to the kids? Now, remember, kids, this is really important. Don't talk to anyone. And she doesn't just mean the kids. She means all of them. The whole family. Mom, dad. It's like they're just going to walk around town and look around. And all the people are walking by and walking their dogs and saying, Hello. And, you know, what a lovely day it is. And not one of them 
are they going to talk to? Because yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's not like, whatsoever. It's like a other citizens from your country. Why aren't you talking to them? Like, yeah, hey, they speak so, English. It's like, hey, you know, we're not going to. We need some help. We're lost. So that part of it was, you know, very. What, what we learn is that androids are being created. These are all androids in this place. Plasmoid androids who bleed and think and feel and have emotions. And, and so their new ones are created and they're supposed to get in this line and they give them jobs and houses. That's the way it goes. So these are, they, they're so humanish that they get, you know, they think they're just somebody made yeah. a few extra androids that they weren't supposed to and they assign them to a place to live while they learn about this world. And only they can live, the, the androids can only be the ones that live in that particular sector because of the, the mines. Right. Poison from that. Sarlacc's yeah. mines. Yeah. See, but the humans don't know that. And of course, the androids don't know they're humans. So they're slowly getting sick with this radiation that's there. That's why androids live in this place. And it's not until the reveal that yeah, they're androids. Um, the, the main thrust of this episode and why it's called Rules of Attraction is the sun falls in love with the beautiful girl android who, who falls in love with him that would be trace the son the, the boy yeah the girl is nova the girl is nova and is it supposed to be teenage love is just like that you know just like <laughs> instantly turn yeah, on a exactly. light he sees her she sees him they smile at the table the very first day of school yeah. and then you know she asks him a question i oh he was so he was so smooth i gotta give him I got to give him that because because they are androids they use phrases like you were born yesterday and they mean it right but he doesn't know that he thinks the phrase is you know you're naive or yes. something like that and and she says to him at one point cuz he doesn't know these important things he goes, you really were born yesterday weren't you and he says and this is so slick no I was born today, meaning when I saw you. I mean, talk about smooth operator. Now that was what a player. That was a, <laughs> and she's totally hook, line, and sinker. Takes that one down. Eventually, they find out that you know they're going to die, and so they have to escape. And they what they learn is that there are seventy eight provinces, seventy seven or seventy eight pro. I think there's seventy seven, and then there's the capital or something like that. It's kind of like the Hunger Games. There's there's all the different districts, and then there's the capital that runs the zone drivers, and that's um, and they move. It's also very much like the Star Lost because the premise of the show is going to be that we move from different culture to different culture, totally independent of one. The only thing that links them is the zone troopers. They are the only people who are allowed to travel yeah, between the zones. The, the forbidden, forbidden, forbidden zones, zones between, between each, each one. And so it's... And it, it, and as they say, it's like lost in space. You just go from a different place to a different place week to week. But they do it on a regular TV budget that way. And it could almost be considered like a precursor to sliders or something too. Even though that was definitely dimensional. Dimensional it was all like well, look, The slight differences that Earth could have the way we're getting into that society, too, since, as far as we can tell, they're all human-based, even though they're human androids in this particular society. That, yeah, that one particular place they went to, so... Yeah, I mean, it's a very... Imagine if we sat here, we could come up with a whole bunch of shows that really followed that same format. But this one really reminds me of Star Lost, more so than Lost in Space. Um, they try to escape. The boy doesn't want to leave the girl. The girl doesn't want the boy to leave... And there's some dialogue yeah. about 
Because as an android, she's discovering love, and love really is. At least from, from what she Well, but she loved, but she, yeah. see now, this is what I did like about the show, in particular about the episode, is that they did try to explore the nature of humanity. And I'm not trying to make that sound more grandiose than it is. But in other words, the android is as human as the boy. And he wants her to leave her family. And her family, she doesn't want to leave her family. She loves her family. She's not going to just pack up and leave leave her family. And, you know, he's like, well, but it's different. Yeah. Well, is it? Why doesn't he stay and leave his family? Yeah, Yeah, is it? Well, he'd die. I mean, there was... That, that part that's of it what was she a, brought up. And it's she like, said, we'll, we'll find a way for you to survive. Well, you know. And he said, it's different because you're an android. Is it? Yeah. Is it really different? Yeah. And, and of course, the, the point of the show is that, no, it's not different. But I'm going to argue that it is different. Because is the bond between a parent and a child something to do with the biological dependency that the child has? In other words, you you bring a completely helpless creature into the world, and it, of necessity, must cling to its parent to survive. And do we interpret that as love or need or dependency or a a range of all of those things? Because, of course, this is the the time-honored dilemma of growing up, is that you grow up and you separate from your parents. That's what happens. And, but the bond is forged out of need, and it's forged over time and necessity. How old was she as an android when she was created? Was she created as a baby android, or was she created as a 12-year-old android, or as a 16-year-old android, or, you know, how long has she been with her quote-unquote family? Is she, was she programmed with love? For them, is that part of the is that part of the Android programming? Is that they actually program your familial relations, and does that make them any less valid? Does that make them different than the programming you have as a human that comes through? Them? But in this particular case, we don't know how far the androids really are programmed because she is supposed to be a child android. She is going to school to learn. Correct. So obviously, why couldn't they have just pre-built everybody as a 20-year-old, given them all the knowledge to begin with? Obviously, they're in a learning process themselves. Yes, that that also is like, obviously, they think it's perfectly possible that he was made yesterday. Yeah. That they're a new family. I mean, the, the people who gave them a house obviously thought that they were completely new. And that would be the father, Hal, the mom, June, the, the we haven't even named the family yet, the, the sons, Trace and Smith, and the daughter, Gina. And they're all different ages. Smith is quite young, and Gina is middle, and Trace yeah. is the oldest boy. And obviously, that's not abnormal. Yeah, what would an eight-year-old android do? You know, it's yeah, except grow <laughs> yeah. into an adult. And they call them uh, protos. The neighbors call the, the little kids, the, they call the kids their protos. Well, it's an eccentric little proto you've got there. Like, it's like, well, why would you create him at age eight? Why wouldn't you? I that part of it. Well, it's like make you any said sense. earlier when they, when they were assigned housing, assigned jobs. Why don't you just program to know all this information and they just, you know, get off the bus and go do what they're supposed to do? Obviously, you know, they're still being told by other androids, right? To set their separate ways, right? And and clearly they have their own free will. They don't seem to be. Pro- I mean, they are. Except that we do see when Kroll comes to town and he talks to the mayor because he wants to find the 
the terrorist androids, plasmoids, and, you know, you aren't lying to me, are you? Holding a gun on the mayor, and the mayor goes, I can't lie to you. Yeah. And the mayor, or the Kroll says, have you ever thought about trying? And, no. said, and I forgot what Kroll says before he shoots him, but... That's the other part of it, is that the Zone Troopers obviously have complete and utter contempt for the androids. So there's also this sort of racist undertone going through there. There's a It stinks of racism. Second-class people, and yet they seem to be first-class in every way. Uh, and, And equally as foibled and weird as... We are. It is still weird to watch a TV show from 1985 and see people smoking pipes. <laughs> Though the androids are one of the androids is the neighbor is a is a pipe smoker, and you're like that is just so weird. And one of the bad guys is too. Yep. One of the, the second in command of the not a pipe smoker, he's a cigarette smoker. But it's like it, it's such a casual, it's such a casual shot. Like all you do is you see him for marching kind of in one second, and he. Pulls a, a drag off of it and then tosses it on the ground before he goes and does something, and you would never see that in a TV show. Now it would never be, it would never be a, an action that wouldn't be drawn attention to. Exactly. You know, you, you would do it for a purpose, and so therefore they would make sure you saw it. And in this one, you could easily miss it. And it's like that's just that's just weird. It's it's something you would have seen thirty years earlier. Where, you know, the guy's just kind of waiting around and then, all right, on to business and back off when it's quote-unquote natural. We learn that the crystal that they stole is an all-access crystal, which will get them into all the computers. It will get them into all the zones. It will allow them to travel from one place to another. So they have the means to to move from one world to the next, uh, which seems to be a remarkably powerful thing. And... Uh, you know, looking back on it from 2013 to 1985, I'm thinking they should sort of like uh, do like a find my iPhone on that and maybe do <laughs> a remote wipe or just revoke access to that particular crystal across their computer network. But but even in the context of that show, it seems like maybe some of that could have been done. I mean, it is Kroll's personal crystal. Right. And if they have all their zones and the zone troopers go freely here and there, you'd think you'd be able to find, because it knows when it accessed, when they accessed it, it thought he, they were Kroll. That's right. It, it calls and him by like, name. Yeah. Say, oh, hello, Commander Kroll. It's like, yeah, hello. Uh, so somewhere you should be able to get on a computer somewhere and say, okay, what's my access log look like or something, you know, and see this is where I just was and this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I'm not saying this show's perfect by no. any stretch of the imagination. It's, it's definitely, it's definitely a weird one and I'm, I'm a little bit... That's where I'm disappointed. Is that There are things like the lighthouse and the assumptions that we have to shut up and not talk to anybody. And that... Yes, it's playing it safe, but you're never going to get back home if you don't ask. And that's a... But I would say, I mean, I think, you know, from a directing point of view, visually, I thought I thought the show did well on that point. I mean, it's not a big, extravagant sci-fi show. It's not a Star Trek or Babylon 5 later or anything like that. You know, it was more of a, it's a family adventure, but they, you know, they did have some good effects. I, I love the music in it. I thought that was great. It's kind of... 
I um I, that's look I have I have the music down here. I wouldn't say I loved the music. Uh, <laughs> now, at least in the pilot episode, the music is by, and so therefore the theme music is by Sylvester Levey, who well, I don't know if he's famous or not, but in in my circles, the most famous thing he's done is Airwolf, which is an awesome theme song for a TV show. And Airwolf was, was that same time? Or yeah, like roughly. After, yeah, know, it's, like yeah, within a few years of each other. That, that's definitely the electronic 1980s synthesis yeah. sound uh, tunes that you, you get. And I don't mind the theme song. The, the theme is, is, is good. It was the incidental music in this episode, particularly the love theme between the boy and the girl, which was these electronic flutes or something that were kind of vaguely reminiscent of South American. I, it's hard to yeah, describe. Like yeah. yeah, but it, it had that sort of little twerty. It's like I can't listen. I can't listen back to it and go, you know. And I really like electronic music. I mean, I love a good electronic sound score, but there are good electronic sound scores. Say, Tangerine Dream. Blade Runner, yeah. Vangelis, you know, things like that. And then there are bad ones, like everything done during the Sylvester McCoy <laughs> era of Doctor, Doctor Who. Actually, everything done during the Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and, and pretty much Peter Davison era. The first bit of Peter Davison was okay, but then they just, they got just worse and worse and worse. And it's... Yeah, but that, yeah, but that music music hurts when you're watching the show, and it's dated now and everything else. Other world didn't, didn't I, ruin I it for me like it, that. Parts I mean, of it bothered me, particularly yeah. the fluty thing was really too much, and it was it was it was intrusive, and it was like, oh, that's just it's all. It, I'm not picking on Sylvester McKay, but it also had an amateurish feel to it. You get an I get an amateur feel from a soundtrack score when there's too much music. You lay it on too yeah. thick. It's like, oh yeah, every minute of this show has to have a lot of music. Everything they're doing. It doesn't matter whether they're eating dinner or they're being chased by the guards or I, I'm going to lay it on thick. And but Unfortunately, that was the era of the 80s, like you said. I mean, in all TV shows and movies, that's that was always the drawback or weakness of synthesizer music. It's like I mean, ding, 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 yeah. ding. You know, people, somebody's just sitting there doing that and then all makes change a note, you know. That's, yeah. Well, that's, I think that's it, the background. I think it's because... And I'm totally making this up, but <laughs> I think it's because it's cheap. So, uh, for example, if you look at, uh, say, uh, best, I'm going to go with best uh, music soundtrack of a TV series in the United States, and I'm going to I'm going to plant the flag down and say it's original Star Trek. It's memorable music. It's uh, it's orchestrated, but it's not a huge orchestra. It's it's if you know Star Trek, you will hear it. You will hear the themes, and you will instantly know what they are. They are recognizable. They are they are hummable. They are, uh, and they do go pervasive during certain segments. But they are, but they are solid. But it costs money yeah. to put a band or an orchestra, and so, so they only have so much. And then they, of course, reuse some of it as uh, again in later episodes that that fits. If you got one guy with a synthesizer who can now synthesize the music all together, I suspect it's cheaper. 
probably. I, I suspect, you know, it's like, um, here, uh, Christopher Frankie, go take the <laughs> uh, music episode and just sit there and, and play music through them. I'm picking on Babylon 5 there. Uh, that music's actually not too, too bad. But again, 80s. It's the age of the personal computers at that time. Things have happened, you know. That's kind of the whole feel they're going for at that time. Yeah, so. so it was it was good. I suppose having watched this episode, I would I would watch it again. But I was annoyed by the stupidity of the family. It's like if if that is the strand, and this show is sold as a family show, the the, the bonding of the people together and the you know the tight it's a family value show it's a saturday i think it's a saturday evening show during the probably the the saturday night slot where you have to put the family stuff on and comparable to lost in space that was the whole thing about lost in space originally was supposed to be family persevering against the odds the pioneer american spirit but they're kind of ditzy you know stand up but but kind of ditzy so yeah, almost. I mean, from the beginning when they did attack Kroll and leave him out there in the desert, that was you know the violent bit, and that's not the family thing they wanted. And after after that, everything's like innocent and like let's not like I said, don't talk to anybody, don't get involved, just make yourself you know fit in and everything else. They didn't want to jump yeah. out and do anything. Anymore. I I felt like I felt like that part was the the part that was too rushed. They went from. We're just wandering around. We don't know where we are. To we better lay low. We've been given this free. It, it it is the conceit of the story where they're just given this free identity. They're just. I mean, how convenient is it? You're walking into town. You're down Main Street, and you happen to pass a guy. Who says, "Whoa, get in line!" And he pushes him in line. Why you're late? You're late. Get in line. And and they're given a home and jobs. That part is pretty hard to swallow. Um, it does add to the weirdness. Of, I mean, on the other hand, it does add to the weirdness. It's like, what kind of world have we walked into where you would walk up to a kiosk and my favorite Martian, Ray <laughs> Walston, would give you a job and a house? And he's like, off you go, and you're late, you're late. I'll take care of it. But they were able to ask, because, you know, the Android Society, like we said before, thought they could be born yesterday. They were able to ask questions that if they, if they were regular humans, people would be thinking, what, what, are you a stupid idiot or what? You know, you're living in this town. You don't know where you are. You don't know about the provinces. You don't know anything. It's like here, right. at least the androids are treating them like, okay, you're just stupid, off-the-shelf androids. And yeah, you just, just you, know, like, you, you were just born. You haven't read up on your history of the planet or whatever yeah. it is, or Sarlacc said, have you? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I really haven't had the chance to check up on Sarlacc. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not... It's better than Man from Atlantis. Yeah. It's better than later episodes of Man from Atlantis. It has some problems. So, a couple things I noticed, and I don't know if it's true or not, but given the apocryphal story about, you know, I can do Lost in Space on Earth, is the boy Smith... I mean, Smith? Smith, have you ever heard of any... I mean, I've heard of lots of stupid names <laughs> for kids, but Smith for his first name? Smith Sterling. I, I I've never heard of that. Is that is that an homage to Doctor Smith? Yeah, is the be. boy Doc you know Will and Doctor Smith and thing? And it's not obvious. There's no other obvious arrangement except that. Well, there really isn't an obvious arrangement except it's three kids, two of one gender, one of the other, which is, you know, pretty hard to do at any 
any other way unless they're all boys or all girls. Yeah. And two of them are pretty close to the same age. They're both like in high school together and everything else. They kind of have some of the same experiences. Right. And then, so but the mom's name is June. Uh, if you would know, June Lockhart played the mom in Lost in Space. I don't know if that's... Yeah, uh, we couldn't find any other. We couldn't find any other coincidental arrangement. I mean, the other characters, the other actors. Um, it just isn't. Yeah, I think the kids were fairly new stars at the time. I was hoping this would lead to some of it. What Sam Groom and Gretchen Corbett? I think, yeah, I, I know she was pretty well known at the time. I think she. You would, you would see her in things. Yeah, I mean, she would turn up in Rockford Files. She was Jim Rockford's attorney. Which was a semi-recurring character. Yeah. I mean, she might show up three or four times a year, so it's not a maybe a little right. bit more. Not so a they're trying part. to get some, you know, they got some likable leads there. You know, their mom and dad, Sam Groom, you would see him in a lot of shows in the '80s, just guest stars in here, and he's also a likable guy if if a little bit stupid in this yeah. show. Because um, the kid that plays Smith, this is his only episode. Spoiler. No, it's not. It is? He comes back? He comes back. So, uh, <laughs> tipping this one off in a spoiler, uh, the pilot was actually two hours long, and they split it into two episodes. But not episode one and two. Correct. There are episodes one and five. <laughs> so, episode five. Yeah. Episode five, he'll be back. So, that's even more interesting, because that means they made a two-hour episode, and not only did they avoid pilotitis by making the pilot part of it only 15 minutes... But then they went ahead and actually told three stories in the pilot because they had to split it up. So it'd be interesting how episode five plays out. Yeah, if it's like, well, we just left the android city. It's like, so the other thing that we should tell you about the premise of the story is that uh, in addition to these, there was wars of unification. We, we get a little bit of the history. There were wars of unification in the, the 7778 provinces were brought under the control of a foreigner thorough emar whatever whatever the main province was and there are legends that people came from other planets and there are these obelisks and they're egyptian they've got the eye of horus in them or maybe it's the eye of sutek i don't know and they're you know kind of stationed almost like a signpost and they go out into the forbidden zone and the girl explains to the boy um how we have this legend that people would come from their planets and then they would follow these back to Emar. I can't remember what the main province was, but back to the main province. And what happens there? They'd go back to their home world. So, of course, that gives them their... We have to just follow these, yeah. this trail of obelisks, which, if you think about it, based on the premise of the show, if there's like 77 districts, you know that means that there's potentially 77 episodes. Exactly. Which means that this trail must do this circular, spiraling <laughs> kind of loop to get to the main province. Otherwise, it wouldn't take them through all the provinces. So they're going to have to follow this ridiculous <laughs> pattern until they get to the... I mean, at some points, those obelisks seem to be very close together. Were they 10 yards apart? It's like, like They're pretty close. Realize. Yeah, I mean, they're, they are they like trouble standing stones. Them. Yeah, it's like... They look like standing stones. They're so close together that you can you can see the next one and the next one down the down the desert. So, and I'm I think we see three at one time. So I think my guess is they made three of them and then they just move them around and 
uh, and placed them wherever they needed to on the set. So there's one other thing I wanted to touch on. And this is a scene when the boy is trying to get the girl to leave with with him. And she, you know, he, he pulls the whole, well, it's different, you're an android. And, and she says, you think it's different because you were created by God and you have a soul. And then she says, well, I want to show you something. And they leave and go out the window and they go into the underground complex where he's never been. But And they go down this big bank of elevators and they get to this low and there's wall after wall after these little, little dots. And she walks up and she says, each and every one of these is the memory or something of, of one of us. And she points to one. And she goes, this is my soul. Can you show me your soul? <laughs> And he he doesn't quite go teary-eyed, but he really looks like that's the most profound thing I've ever heard in my life. And, you know, and they embrace and they have a big lovey-huggy thing. I'm not sure I get that. No. <laughs> like, I really, I'm really not sure I get that. It's like, can you show me your soul? You've shown me a point of light. Exactly. What... what Assuming that you believe in a soul, which obviously they do. I mean, obviously that's up to the pro original programming too. So it's obviously whatever programmers' beliefs were, but I mean, still, I don't know. Yeah, I, why call that a soul? You know, that's you know. That's what, we we could probably debate what is a soul. Is a soul a thing? Is there such a thing as a soul? I'm I'm going to take the reductionist and say no, there isn't. So this is really kind of that's really her brain patterns. Yeah. But but we're later given information at the end that that's just a copy yeah so then that's not her soul right that's a copy of her soul can you have two <laughs> did she steal one from her twin I I, I I i i feel like that whoever was doing this story was on he was grasping at the tip of his fingers he was grasping at the tip of his fingers towards something that was perhaps thought-provoking science fiction in the nature of yeah. in the nature of humanity and uh, perhaps a little trite, but but nonetheless a, a heavy subject for show. And he, he was grasping at it, and, and he had his kind of his fingers on it, but he just couldn't quite grab it and pull it out. And so he's really just sort of groping it a little bit. He groped some science fiction. He topics but didn't didn't quite get it so in that respect it's a miss but you know it's like i i want to give them kudos for taking a good shot at it but not yeah. getting there i don't know and then back you know back with her program is too is at the end she saves the family they, the sterling family goes off yep she stays behind we don't see ever what happens to her does she, you know get, does she get rebooted she going to get away now that she's learned about rebellion and everything else? Is she going to have reason for that? Is that going to stay in her system? Is she going to find other people? Well, they did explicitly state that their own memories and brains are intact. Yeah. So the, the, the dad uses the computer crystal to wipe out the archive because it's the archive that the zone troopers will use to audit their memories and do what they do. Which doesn't, I mean, privacy issues aside, it didn't really seem like having your memories audited was a particularly painful no. or <laughs> problematic thing. It was just like, we're going to read your mind, and oh, you know nothing about the terrorists. Okay. And we go to the next guy, and they stick a little probe at the side of their head, and beep, 
nope, you know nothing about the terrorists. Like, you know, why were they so... Okay, you don't want your private thoughts read. I I get that, but it just didn't seem like... It's not like they were hauling them all in for a colonoscopy. No. I mean, that's that's the bottom line there. It's like this was this was more like <laughs> taking your temperature without even putting it in your ear. I was at the doctor the other day. I've never had this done. They, they did my temperature by this thing. They tapped on my head and, and swiped from the top of my ear across my forehead and down in about that long. Okay. It was like, like that. Temperature's normal. I'm like, what the heck did you just do? Get an iPad imprinted inside your forehead or something? <laughs> I, I don't know, but they said, well, this is a thermometer. And I'm like, that works? I said, oh, it's a lot easier on kids than it is sticking something in their ear or in their mouth. And then I started to go, or in there, and then they cut me off. <laughs> um, but um, so that was about, it was about as invasive as that, this, this memory probing technique. So it was like, Anyway, but they said they erased it, but they were very clear. This will not hurt you or any of the androids. You will still have all your yeah. own in your brain. So, no, nothing happened to her yeah. unless Kroll came in and killed her. And we did see Kroll, in addition to that sort of tacit racism that was there, uh, later in the episode, he's consulting with uh, one of the androids who's got, like, maps of the tunnel system that they're in. And it's like, well, what about these? He's like, well, these are this, sir, and that, sir. And okay, you just need to go there. And said, all right, fine. And they walk away, and they just kill him. They just shoot him dead. And no provocation of any kind. No, just, it just, it was, you aren't human, and I don't care. And yet Nova knew the system herself. So that, was that programmed into her for some reason? Why would you do that? It's supposed to be top secret tunnels that nobody knows about. She knew her way down there and was able to help them escape. No, maybe they aren't. I mean, there, there was no... They didn't say it was top secret. They're just disused. We don't use them anymore. So, the fact that... But why program it into her at all? You know, why did she need to know? If you got to go to school and learn everything, you know, it's, why would you know the tunnel system? She was there to learn so, poetry at school. Yeah. Android poetry. Well, have you got anything else? Uh, um sort of looking forward to see if they can maybe tighten up the scripts a little bit <laughs> as yeah. they go. But. Well, I'm sure each episode will be concentrated on different members of the family as well. You know, this one was Trace's episode. I'm sure we'll have one with the kid, the little kid. Oh. One with the daughter, you know, one with the father, one with the mother. So they all seem to have, you know, the different jobs and different things in school going on. Yeah, I'm sure that will be well, there's only eight episodes, and there's five of them, so somebody's going to get two episodes, and somebody's <laughs> not going to get two episodes. Well, that's it for our coverage of the first episode of the 1985 TV series Otherworld. Uh, since it is only eight episodes, we will be doing the entirety of the series, although we won't necessarily do them back-to-back. -back. They'll be interspersed with all our other classics uh, that we're working on right now, but we will be back with more episodes of Otherworld. David, thank you for joining me this evening. Not a problem. Glad to have you back. And we hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us, leave us a review on iTunes. Or stop by and visit at our website, fusionpatrol.com. 
Find us on Facebook or Twitter. Search for Fusion Patrol. Or just drop us a note at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf.